Hello and welcome to another episode of Theology in the Raw. If you would like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash theology in the raw and you can support the show for as little as five bucks a month and get access to some premium content like blogs and extra podcasts and a community uh, where you can um, discuss various issues with me and my uh, supporters. So that's patreon.com forward slash theology in the raw. Would appreciate your support. But if you can't support the show, then please be giving to the poor or helping those in need on some level. And if you can do that and give this show, that's awesome, too. If not, please enjoy this free listener-supported podcast. My guest on the show today is Brian Ivey. Brian is a movie producer. I just met him a few, let's see, a month and a half ago at the Q Conference. He's a friend of a friend. He's an excellent, excellent filmmaker. My buddy who does amazing work in film, who is friends with Brian. Uh, my buddy says Brian is just off the chart amazing. And so for my friend to say that means this guy's, uh, th- this guy's, you know, the real deal. So anyway, he's got a documentary coming out called uh, Emmanuel, the untold story of the Charleston church shooting. You're going to hear him talk about both the Charleston church shooting uh, in 2015 and what it was like making the documentary and some of the complexities that have ensued after making that documentary. But the documentary is going to be released on in theaters, okay, nationwide on theater, in theaters on June 17th and June 19th. Uh, you may say, what about the 18th? Well, you'll see why uh, he's releasing the film in theaters on those two dates. So if you want to go to this film, I would highly, highly, highly recommend taking your family, taking your friends, taking yourself. If you're, do you go to the movies by yourself? I actually don't mind that. It's Hey, more popcorn for me. Um, Emmanuel, the untold story of the Charleston church shooting. And I think it's about an hour and a half. It's a documentary. It's an incredibly, incredibly moving. One of the most, Amazing stories about forgiveness. It is absolutely insanely amazing. You got to go see this movie. So that's June 17th, June 19th. And you were, yeah. So anyway, you're going to hear more about what this documentary was about and what it was like making this documentary. So please welcome to the show for the first time ever, the Brian Ivy. live. I am here with my uh, new friend, Brian Ivey. Brian, thanks so much for being on Theology in the Raw, bro. Dude, I love it, man. Thanks for having me. I love having, I usually have kind of like Christian, I would say primarily writers. Uh, Sometimes I have musicians and I actually recently just had another guy. It's not released yet. So maybe yours will be released before him. But Rex Harson, who does he also does documentaries. Sure. Do you know yeah. who he is? Or I think so. Yeah. He just released a documentary called uh, "Beating Guns." It, it, it corresponds with Shane Claiborne, wow. who wrote a book called "Beating Guns" on kind of the just the the it, well, not exposing, just kind of interacting with the kind of American fascination fascination with guns and totally and, and even like Christians, you know, and how does that square with the gospel? And anyway, so I just recently had him on, I've had some Christian musicians on, but I always love to have different kinds of Christians, especially in, in 
the world of yeah, uh, sure. art and stuff. So I'm super excited about this interview, man. I um, love it. Why don't we start? Just give us a snapshot of who you are for our audience and what you know, what kind of got you into doing wanting to do film. Well, yeah, man. I mean, uh, you know, I am, I'm a really progressive Christian. That's why I wore my chance to rapper hat for you. So I just wanted to make sure you knew <laughs> my right kid, off the bat. My kids would love that actually. They, they're, yeah, they're so a fan. This is, this interview is going to be really liberal and progressive. So I'm, <laughs> this is going to be raw, dude. Uh, I, so I grew up in Orange County, the, um, the capital of white privilege. Uh, it was a very idyllic upbringing. Yeah. Every summer I would make movies with my friends and that is really how it started for me. So I wanted to make movies since I was a kid. Really? Uh, ne never thought I would do it for a living because certainly nobody believed that I could. Um, but that's because it was just something I did for fun, but something I did with my friends. And every summer we'd make Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter or James Bond. It was like that we weren't very original. Like we were not writers. We were just, yeah. uh, I think we were just dreamers. So we were trying to figure it out. And I, in, in high school, I started a cinema club, which meant I didn't have a girlfriend and I just spent <laughs> a lot of time in the dark. Uh, uh, but I, I also just kind of grew my fascination with like film and art and how do we transcend what's so boring and, and ordinary about my life? Um, yeah. Because it seems like even, even in a place where everybody has everything, it feels like at times they have nothing. And so what does that really mean? So then I ended up going to film school at USC and rooming with an evangelical Christian named Will, who I called God's will. And we would have like really fun conversations because I didn't grow up in the church. So I didn't really have like that background at all. In fact, I hated Christians were like children of the corn. Right. So they like foamed at the mouth. I didn't I didn't want anything to do with them. And but then I roomed with this dude who was kind of authentic and he uh, showed me a different side of what like religion could look like. And then really what happened in my life was I read an article about a pastor in South Korea of all places who was adopting disabled children off the street. Right. And um, he had built what was called a, a drop box for abandoned babies into the wall of his church and had to date rescued over 500 kids. Oh my word. So I decided since I was a film student, I was, I was like, okay, I'll send this dude an email. And I'll Google translate it into Korean and see if he'd let me come out and make a movie about his story. <laughs> and he responded. And so me, God's will, and a bunch of my friends flew out to South Korea um, in December of 2012 to make a film about this man. And, and at the end were of you, it... Were you a Christian yet at this point or just kind of... No, but, no, but I was just... Interested I a just little bit? Yeah, I've, I like to say, like, I, I wanted to go to Sundance Film Festival and got saved instead. You know, it's like <laughs> my goal was to be to be famous, to to tell a story that would get me into these like cool kind of intelligentsia, humanist film festivals and yeah. make me an interesting artist. But instead, it's just God's way of getting to me. And um, and wow. so I came out of that experience seeing God for the first time through this man and what he was doing, reaching out to the lost and broken and, and found myself among them. And so I, I ended up becoming a Christian uh, through the wow. process of making that film. Well, so that's kind of, that's yeah. fascinating. What, what was he like? The, what's his name? The guy who rescued all the names, pastor Lee pastor. That's right. I yeah. remember when that, when that um, story came out, I remember about that. People were talking, it's kind of, you know, being passed around, but what, what was, what's he like? Dude, he is He's the goat, man. Like that dude in heaven is like LeBron James. You know what I'm saying? Like, honestly, 
he's one of those, he didn't even, he doesn't speak English. So he, all he knows how to say is hello, I love you and coffee, like literally, <laughs> you know, but his life preached to me. Hmm. Um, and I think I needed to see that God wasn't just a televangelist. He was a father and I, and that he cared about me. Yeah. And a lot of my own addictions and problems and failures. And, and this guy was adopting people nobody else wanted and nobody yeah. else loved. And that was something I didn't know I needed to see, but I did. Right. And, and so that changed my life. Are you still friends with God's will? Are you guys buds? Or? Dude, God's will and I are tight. <laughs> God's will lives in Newport. He's jacked. He's just like, he's just a... I don't know. He's one of those guys who's like, okay, being messy and being like really yeah. broken still. And I needed to see that too. But yeah, he's my boy and yeah. uh, he just had a kid. So it's cool to grow up with him. So 2012, what, that, so that was that your first documentary you made or were you? Have you totally, yeah. dude. Nobody <laughs> wants to make a documentary. Honestly, bro, I wanted to be J.J. Abrams. I want to be Christopher <laughs> Nolan. Like, but, but the thing was, when you get to film school and you realize you're not as talented as some of the other kids, uh, I wanted to be an entertainer. But I realized at film school, I wasn't very good at entertaining people. But what I could do is communicate with people okay. in a way that was compelling. And so the documentary form ended up becoming kind of like my voice. Okay. Okay. Now, so tell us about the most recent one you're about to release, Emmanuel, uh, the untold story of the Charleston church shooting. I guess, why don't we start by just the Charleston church shooting for our sure. audience? I mean, I'm sure most of our audience vaguely might know about it. Some may be really familiar with it, but there's been, I mean, I, this is, terrible terrible but there's been so many shootings right that sure. sometimes it's hard kind of hard to keep up with which which ones is, is which so tell us about the shooting and then why you decided to do a documentary on it sure so for those who may remember or or don't know on june 17th of 2015 uh, there was a bible study in charleston south carolina at a very iconic african-american church called mother emmanuel african methodist episcopal um martin luther king spoken at this church it's just, it's one of those things. It's kind of like the beating heart of the black community. And uh, on a Wednesday night Bible study, a 21 year old white kid walked in, sat with him for 45 minutes. And when they bowed their heads in prayer, he uh, uh, opened fire and killed nine people. And then 48 hours after the shooting, the family members of the victims were gathered in a, a local courthouse and one by one stood and forgave the murderer. Uh, one of them even inviting him to give his life to Christ in the hearing. Oh my so I heard about this story when I was on my honeymoon with my wife and uh, didn't really know what to do with it at first, but I knew that something supernatural had happened yeah. uh, in the midst of a great tragedy. So the killer, what's his name? Or actually, you don't say, I don't love saying the names of killers. But, sure, sure. Um, he, was, he didn't kill himself, which is typically what happens, right? No, he had planned to because uh, he had assumed what would happen is when he exited the church, there would be a lot of cops and there would be this this kind of like battle scene he, he had imagined for himself where he'd go out and hail a gunfire. But there was nobody there yet. Nobody knew what had happened. And so he just drove off and they caught him 14 hours later. And is he still alive? He's, He's on death row. Mm hmm. Wow. Yeah. So they, when they, when you said they stood before him, they literally were in his presence looking at him and forgiving him. Yeah. And you have this on film, right? Yeah, that's the that's really like the um 
climactic part of the movie. Wow. What, what, um, again, I don't want to talk too much about the killer, but was he deranged? Sure. I mean, clearly it was an act of race, racism. I mean, of I, course. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's important to say actually. So he was a self-avowed white supremacist. Okay. So the, the killer himself, um, declared in the shooting. And we know this because we know the survivors and we were able to interview them for the film that he had told them he was doing this because they were black and they were taking over the country. So what we had was, was a, a clear hate crime, um, a, a, a murder and an execution of, of nine innocent people. Uh, and then in the, in the wake of it, something, uh, a, a kind of love that you rarely see uh, in the world today. Wow. What, what, um, what was the response from the community with their forgiveness? Well, I think it's complicated because forgiveness can be, um, I think forgiveness at times can kind of impede the, the justice process, or at least it, it almost, it almost stops the grieving to say, well, let's just get past this. The African-American community constantly feels like they're made to forgive very quickly, so we don't have to deal with okay. the, the realities of racism and the inequities you still see in society. But I think in this particular situation, none of the family members planned to forgive. That's the fascinating part about this. In fact, they didn't even know they were gonna get, be given a chance to speak. So what's amazing is that each of them independently say, God took over or really? spoke through me or started to say things that I didn't want to say. And that began to heal of the community that was very brokenhearted about this still being something that exists. Um, so, and I think it, it healed a lot of people and it's continuing to do so. So is there, would you say that there's, there's clear, for lack of better terms, empirical evidence that their radical otherworldly forgiveness was a source of healing for the community? I mean, Definitely. Yeah. And I think it, it can, it coexisted with justice because Dylan Roof was um, charged. He was arrested. He was, he was charged with murder. He's sentenced to death. Uh -huh. You know, there's, that's a controversial, of course, yeah. um, conclusion, but he is on death row and he's going to pay for his crimes. So that is, um, so that it didn't, it didn't actually stop the justice process from happening. Right. It's just interpersonally, um, started to heal the community that was very, uh, was, that was hurting. What was his reaction when he was being forgiven? Do you, do we know about that? Yeah. I mean, a lot of the thing about it is when you watch the film, the only angle that we have in the hearing, because they weren't allowed to film anything else is just him oh. watching them forgive. Wow. So that, so the whole time you are watching his face and there is a moment where it feels like he becomes a human being again. It's fascinating. Really? Yeah. Do we know it's, any it's crazy in the last five, I guess almost, almost four years, uh, the follow up with him in prison on death row. Like, do we know anything about him in the aftermath? No, we, I, I think what's, what's been really beautiful, but also, um, it's just, it's stunning. It's like the families have been trying to visit him oh and you know, it's like, they're still reaching out to him in this moment, hoping that he'll repent, give his life to God, be redeemed. And, you know, I mean, what do you even do with that? Right. So I think they haven't been able to get to him. You know, I think some of that's up to him and I know he hasn't repented. There has been no remorse whatsoever. And I think that is the most, that is the hardest thing to watch, but also the most beautiful thing to see the families, despite the fact that he does not 
accept it, they continue to offer it. Golly. I got a bunch of questions, yeah. but real quick. So again, the, f- the film okay. is um, Emmanuel, the untold story of the Charleston church shooting. It's going to be in theaters on June 17th and then June 19th. So if you want the theater experience of this film, which I mean, if you're a moviegoer, even a halfway decent moviegoer, you know that seeing a film in sure. the theater is irreplaceable, really. So I would highly recommend you guys going to see this. Is this going to be, I mean, everywhere in theaters? So, like, I live in Boise. Yeah. Is it going to come out in Boise? I mean. Well, it'll definitely not be in Boise because nobody goes to, you know, of course. Everybody, everywhere but Boise, you can see a manual. <laughs> on, no, it'll, it's actually playing nationwide. It's kind of, um, it's cool because it's, it's two days, but it's actually releasing on the day that it happened. So you would be seeing, you would be seeing the film on the day of the shooting and the day of the forgiveness. That's the idea. June 17th and June 19th. Oh, so the forgive. Oh, two days later. That's right. Two days later. So it's during the dates are intentional. Okay. Very intentional. Okay. Yeah. And so that's the experience you'd be in, but it's playing nationwide. You can go to emmanuelmovie.com. Tell me about some of the more remarkable conversations you had with the the victims um, who lost family members, children, uh, were their children killed or? Definitely. Um, teenagers. Yeah. Teenagers. For sure. What are some, yeah. yeah. If you can recall some conversations, even one liners or something that were just. Dude. <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, my gosh, this, this movie, is, it, it tears you apart and puts you back together. I think <sighs> there's a, a woman named Polly Shepard. If you watch the trailer, she's the first person you see. And she's the one who Dylan Roof the murderer, he left alive on purpose so he, so she could tell the story. That's what he told her. And Polly will tell you that there were two lights in the room when the shooting was happening. There was the light from the laser of the gun, and there was the light of the Lord's presence. And, man, I mean, those are the kind of – and that was verified independently by another survivor. Um, so it's stuff like that, man, where you just feel like, where is God? And you still feel that, you know, I think authentically you're just like, but it still happened, but you know, that they felt like he was with them despite what was happening and has brought some good out of it. I mean, there, there are some amazing stories. Anthony Thompson talks about his wife. So Anthony's wife, Myra was leading the Bible study for the first time. First time she'd just been ordained a minister and she was killed that night. But Anthony remembers that the day that she was preparing for the Bible study, she was glowing. And he said he couldn't touch her. It was like he wasn't allowed to. And later he kind of, he felt like God said to him, it was because I already had her and she was already in her glory. And wow. it's just stuff like that, man, where you see the, the dying grace that God gives to people. I mean, it felt like everybody was prepared for this moment when you talk to their families. Like they would write letters saying, when I'm gone, please take care of this, take care of that. It's just crazy, man. So with the, the responses, you said it's it's complicated and, and I could imagine that. And I, sure. I can see where the complication would come from. This happened also in, in um, I mean, there was a very similar incident in 2006 with the Amish shooting. Yes. Um, and same thing. Absolutely. They, for gay people and the, the, the reaction to that was mixed. They, they thought it was like, you know, yeah. you no, know, that's just being, you're letting justice run rampant unless you're vengeful, really. Um, right. And I could, I could, 
even as somebody who believes in nonviolence, I mean, I could, I could, I could see the tension there. It's like, oh my word, oh, yeah, yeah, but you know, and, it's, <laughs> and especially when it's a combination of faith and race happening, and with the Amish, yeah, the Amish was just kind of, I, as far as I remember, that that shooting, there was, it wasn't, there was no kind of explanation. It was just, sure, you know. But this one, there, there's a clear target, race, and maybe faith played in into that, totally. um, and yeah, I mean, did people. Where, so some people were kind of upset or they, they felt like this oh, yeah. is... Uh, so many people were pissed. Really? They were like, yeah. we can't forgive. Why are we forgiving racism? Right. And I think... Well, they think it's just excusing the, it, right? Like if you forgive it, yeah. then it'll just keep happening. And 100%. It's like, well, this is what the black community always has to do. We have to forgive and forget. And everybody, we just pretend that this isn't still an issue. And we pretend that it never was. And it's it's like you get a lot of the feeling of never forget 9-11, but always forget slavery. You know, I think that's what that community still uh, faces is a white fragility that just refuses to deal right. and repent openly um, of these things and of the privilege that came out of a legacy uh, that is a legacy of white supremacy in our country that was a, a founding principle. And so I can understand where that 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 feeling comes from. But I think the difference is when you when you throw Christ into the mix and our faith, it's kind of like we were called to love our enemies and to um, to not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Right. But we also at the same time, um, God says, you know, leave it to the wrath of God. Right. Right. So. We, we can count on God if Dylan Roof, if a murderer, if any gunman doesn't repent and doesn't seek forgiveness, that God will deal justly with him. Right. In, better in better than sense. we can, right? I mean, much yeah, better. Yeah. What, so what we was have that assurance. The, the, so with the victims, what, what has been their response to some of the criticisms of their forgiveness? Have they had to respond to that? That's, I, that's, that's painful yeah. to even think about. Like they've been through enough, like to now. For sure. It's almost like in a roundabout way, that's really kind of dehumanizing to like, yeah. from, from a di you weren't there in black, white, brown, whatever, like for you to criticize what they did. Or maybe sure. the criticism is more at the system. I'd probably not them. It's probably yeah. at the, you know, the, totally. the, the white privileged system, or whatever. But yeah, what, so what, what's been their response to that? I think they've just stood by it. I think they just feel like at the end of the day, it was God's words and God, this is what God's heart was toward even this man, even mm -hmm. this 21 year old and uh, who had done such something so horrendous. And that's what it's drew me to the story is that kind of love that, that bore the full weight of the wrong and still wished good upon the wrongdoer. There's really no greater love in existence. And so I think they've stood by it and they've also not in any way try to, in a societal sense, stop the process of judging him, right? And, and allowing that to take place. But as far as it related human to human being, which I think you can hold those together. Yeah. And they, they hope that he can be changed and yeah. redeemed. What? So you're not, you're white. I mean, have you received Very white. Have, <laughs> have you received criticism for... Oh, yeah. Of as course. being a racist I mean, and, I mean... <laughs> well, I think the cool thing is, uh, you know, when you look up white privilege in the dictionary, it's just a picture of me on a bicycle, you know? <laughs> so I think, I think people automatically are kind of like weirded out that I was the director of the movie. But then as soon as they talk to me, I think they start to understand that I'm aware of it. I know it's kind of weird. I stayed away from the story purposely for a year because of that exact reason. Really? Okay. It didn't make yeah. sense. Yeah. But what, 
drew me in was where God was in all of this. And that's what the families wanted to talk about. And so the fact that I was white was sort of secondary to the fact that I was a Christian and that I had, I understood what a Bible study was and what it meant for them to die for their faith. Yeah. And, and I think at that level, we actually connected more so than they did with a lot of African-Americans in the media that had approached them. Really? Yeah. Because of the faith commitment, because you understood the radicality of forgiveness and the demands of the cross and man, what a weird space to be in. But an, I mean, exciting, but especially in this day and age, I mean, racism is both high and sensitivity is high and and those play off each other sometimes, you know, and, and um, I almost asked you about Jesse Smollett, what you thought about (laughs) <laughs> so, no, no but there, there's racism is complex convoluted and it's playing into there's just there's so many different levels and moving parts of with it, you know? like i mean the jesse smollett thing you know and sure gosh and then you have you know anti-semitism seems to be on the rise and then um, yeah. it seems then you have like the backlash against white privilege. And then this, the, 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 was it the covenant? Um, those kids from covenant. Remember that story where they, a few months ago, yeah. and it's like, it's like sometimes when you look for racism under every rock, whatever yeah. you, you find, you find it, even if it's not really there, but then, totally. yeah, it's not, but then there, but then there's clear instances of horrific racism. And then the, the, for sure. It, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's a com it's a very complex conversation, multifaceted. Um, it is. And you're right in the middle of it now. Sort of. I mean, it, even I now, do you still like, do you deal with stuff daily, monthly, or is it kind of waned after you've been to kind of out of the, you know? Oh I, yeah. No, it's only picked up as we started to release the film and figure out how do we do this? How do we promote this? Okay. But the, the key thing that I told the families when I first met them was I don't want any money. And so, you know, for the, for a year and a half, almost two years, my wife really supported both of us. So I could do this film for free. Wow. That was the first thing because I, I didn't, the future's female, you know what I'm saying? But it it was cool because we kind of made this decision together that we were going to um, do this with clean hands and a pure heart and make sure we weren't going to profit off of the tragedy. And, and I think that was the first step to say, Hey, look, um, you know, I, I realize it's weird for me to be coming in here and doing this as just a white guy from L.A. So let me just make a, a tangible uh, statement of, of what my commitment really is and my heart. And I think that went a long way. And especially dealing with the issues now where people are wondering, like, what, what is my goal? What is my hope here? Hopefully that preaches to them, if not my words. You know. I, I'm, I mean, it's, you have to see that. I'm, I'm, so I haven't seen the documentary. I, I, you, you sent me the link, and sure. I saw the trailer a few times now. I watch it with my kids, and um, you, <laughs> racism will be exposed and made to see for the evil that it is in this. Like I don't know how you could yeah, watch definitely. this. I'm going to assume again. I haven't seen it. I don't know how you could watch this and not be yeah. more turned off by racism, more eager to confront racism, more eager to address systemic powers yeah. to be that are feeding and fostering and feeling racism. Like how can, even if people still have a problem with the whole forgiveness piece, which again, from a Christian, it's kind of totally. like, what, what do you, well, 
I don't know what to do with that. This is a central ingredient to it. it it's one of the foundational things of our faith is forgiving and loving your enemy. Totally. And even if your enemy is a racist, that's not, there's nothing in the Christian world that says, well, but if he's a racist, he's no, right. he's a different category, you know, like, no. Right. Um, so yeah, that's got, it's gotta be kind of frustrating. That'd be frustrating for me when you are giving up of a lot of money. Can you give a price tag on what it costs to do something like this? Or would you rather not? Or I don't know how, and if, 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 I, it, sorry, there's a gardener now, of course, <laughs> as soon as we get into the important parts of this interview. Um, I mean, the film was expensive to make, you know, yeah. it costs a lot of money to get where we are. I would say, you know, over the past few years, it's almost, I, the film was $800,000 endeavor, right? Okay. So normally it would be at least 80 to a hundred thousand dollars of that. Cause I edited the film too. So I think, you know, there's, there's a sense, but there's also just, I think for me, it was a small sacrifice to make for the sake of the gospel. And also just out of honor of these people, mm-hmm. I think as a, as a filmmaker, as a documentarian, I always ask myself, should I tell this story? Not just, could I tell the story? Oh, okay. And so if I was going to take on that responsibility, I wanted to do it the right way. And so for me, the sacrifice was small in the sense of what these people gave up and what I was portraying. The sacrifice is greater on my wife and uh, who I love. Her name is Amanda. And she is, she is the unsung hero of this whole thing. She's working full time while you're spending full time uh, dinking around with your iPhone shooting. That's right, man. That's right. (laughs) 100%. What does she do? So, yeah. Can you t- can you say what she does? What does she do? Yeah, my wife's awesome, man. She's way cooler. She should be on this podcast. I don't know why you have me on here. My wife works for Snapchat. So oh, she's right like, on. She's awesome, dude. She's like flying all over the country. Wow. Just being awesome. And, and um, she's in ad sales. She, she runs the accounts for Apple and Nike. And it's just cool. We met in college. I met her at her baptism. So we have like no a really sweet, sweet history, but I wasn't a Christian at the time. So I thought she was gorgeous, but also totally <laughs> insane. So I, I you know, but wow. now the rest is history. So that's awesome. Well, that again, going back to my point, that, that's that I, that would feel frustrating to me. Um, that'd be, that'd be hard to, to give up so much, seeing your wife give up so much out of an explicit heart to want to confront and expose Ra- yeah. and reduce racism in the country and then have that kind of on in various Definitely. ways thrown back on you as you're the you know you're, oh yeah ah, that's but I'm, I'm sure with the people with the the people that matter namely the victims of this the families yes i obviously the, there's not none of that i mean they you no, probably have t- dozens of me. homes you can go have meals very at and, humbling man yeah dude well the cool thing is so people people should know this that we showed the film to the families first okay um, so the, all, all the families, those that have, uh, at least those who were in the film, the next of kin, like the closest relative, they've all seen the film, blessed the film. They loved the film. We're having as many of them as possible, uh, to an event in May at museum of the Bible, going to bring them in just to honor them. Oh, so so awesome. okay. it's just a relationship there that's really sweet and goes way beyond the movie. Yeah. Okay. So again, it's June 17th, June 19th, uh, commemorating both the shooting, commemorating, um, What's the word you use to, it's like the memorial, the honoring. Yeah. Honoring, honoring, thank you. Honoring the, the, yeah, the families. Both the shooting, the the families and when the shooting happened and the the day that they forgave their uh, enemy. Um, After this, how can people get a hold of the film if they can't make it to the theaters? 
in June? Sure. So the cool thing is definitely get in touch with us, go to our, our website. And if you have a church and you want to do a screening, All right. um, that's a great way to do it. Cause for me, it's like, that's why we made the films to bring people into a space where they could actually see each other, have the hard conversations, but also, also they could pray together. We've had amazing experiences where we've had people in theaters praying together after the film, black and white, um, just apologizing, um, talking about how we can actually do this, how we can build real relationships and, and heal. Uh -huh. Um, but it'll be on in the fall through universal pictures. It'll be on iTunes and Amazon, and all okay. those platforms. Okay. And then uh, from there on the streaming platform. So well, what's your website yeah. that they, they, they can go? They go, go to emmanuelmovie.com. Emmanuelmovie.com. Okay, emmanuelmovie.com. Yep. Is this something that if a bunch of churches got together and wanted to come together in a, in a large sanctuary and show it, is that, is this, I'm just curious, would this, is this something, are you going to like be at any of these or something if it's a larger venue? Yeah. 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 I mean, I'm, I'm trying to make myself available to do that just as part of my stewardship for the film. So yeah. if you want me there, if it's helpful, um, and not just me, but family members, if, uh, a significant amount of them committed to show up at any opportunity. Are you for serious? Film. Seriously, man. So, oh you know, God. reach out to us. Let us know if there's a church or if you want to bring in Polly Shepard, a survivor, Anthony Thompson, who is a reverend as well. Um, yeah. I mean, there's opportunity for that. How far away is this from Richmond? R Richmond, 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 Virginia. Church? Yeah. I don't know, actually. Not not too far driving distance, I think. I'm going to be in Richmond um, next fall at an event i'm just i'm just thinking out loud it'd be really cool to sure. do something like this tacked on i don't know that'd be fascinating. totally man that's what it's for yeah for sure well dude thanks so much for being on the show are you uh, do you know what you're gonna be working on next i mean you've, you've taken on some pretty heavy yeah. stuff i mean are you gonna take, know, a, take a break Gosh. or maybe do a cartoon or something do something fun yeah <laughs> no probably not but i right now i am working on the kirk franklin biopic for Sony. So, Oh, wow. I'm, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm working with Kirk trying to get his story off the ground, which is a really amazing story. And it's in many ways, just a combination of my first two films. Okay. Kirk was abandoned as a kid and then went on through the, the black church to become an oh, wow. incredible witness for, for Christ and an amazing musician. So awesome. I think those things are coming together, but whatever God wants to do is that's what I'm game to do. Oh man. That's awesome, man. Well, dude, Brian, thanks so much for being on the show again. It's uh, Emmanuel, uh, the untold story of the Charleston church shooting, June 17th, June 19th. And the website is, remind me again, EmmanuelMovie.com. Movie.com. EmmanuelMovie.com. Thanks so much for being on Theology and Rob, Brian. We'll, we'll have to do this again sometime. Love it, dude. Thanks for having me.